I feel really blessed this morning already with what we've heard, what we've prayed for. And uh, so let's continue to dig into uh, where God's leading us today with all of this. And, and, and again, I guess I look at this and I think I've had people um, ask me and email me and say, Hey, what is, what's True North all about? How do we become a member here? I mean, if, if, uh, how do we sign a membership card or covenant? Uh, what does it mean to be a part of this church? And, and in a nutshell, you know, I'd like to say what we're going to do in the next four weeks is try to define that for you. Um, so if you've ever wondered, like, so what, are we, what is this all about? Matter of fact, some of you that have been here maybe just the last year or so, you've got an invitation to come to what we're calling a new folks lunch. It's coming up in a couple weeks. And we're inviting you to come sit down and eat lunch with us after church and sort of fill you in on all this. But as a church, for the next four weeks, we want to define it even a little bit further and what we believe and, and what it means uh, most to us uh, to be a part of this church. And here's the thing. We just celebrated Easter. We just celebrated a resurrected Savior. I stood up here last week. I was so excited, so fired up about our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, that He's alive. And to me, it was exciting. Um, it's life-changing. It's transforming. Uh, and, and what happens is, I sit there and think, why would I not want to be a part of this? I mean, if you were here last week and you walk out of here and say, I wish it was like this every week. I, I, why would I not want to be a part of something like this, right? And we walk out and we're all excited. But here's what happens. The next day or maybe during the week or maybe even the following Sunday, um, we lose that excitement. We, we don't pick up our Bible and read it as much as we thought we were. And we don't spend as maybe as much time in prayer as we thought we were going to because we were all excited, right? And then... Well, we, then we don't show up for church either because, well, some things came up and we step back and we say, what just happened? I mean, Easter was so awesome and we were so excited and His resurrected Savior and then it started going down. And I thought this was a Jesus thing was exciting. I thought this new life was transforming and, and it seems like there are times in our life we make a commitment and we're so excited about the commitment we just made and then all of a sudden it's like, well, it's not as exciting anymore. We start to fade away, and we begin to backslide. Oh, backslide. Anybody remember that word? That's a good old churchy word. Is there, raise your hand if you've heard that word before, backslide. you heard that word? Okay, good. Most of you have. I mean, some of us, you know, maybe have never heard that before. I heard it a lot when I was growing up. So I went to this independent Baptist church growing up, and, and you know, everybody's, you're there every Sunday, every Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, you're there all the time, and, and um, you know, you looked and you knew everybody in the church, and, you know, you knew uh, Brother Tom was going to be the one who always got up at the end on Sunday night when we sang, just as I am, you know, and he'd be the one that would come forward. He had the same testimony every week, but hey, he came forward, and, and, uh, and it was like things you could sort of count on, right? But all of a sudden, if there's a church member who suddenly they weren't showing up to church as often, Whispers in the church, he's backsliding. He's backsliding. I mean, it was like the churchy word to throw around, right? It's like, what's happening to that person? They're not showing up as much. And somebody's like, what is backsliding? I don't know. Well, sort of look at it like this. I admit that I'm a sinner. I ask for forgiveness. Now, I can't do this thing on my uh, life on my own, so I call for help. God, I need your help. So I choose to follow Jesus Christ. I place my faith in Jesus Christ. So I pray, I confess, my faith is in Him. I'm new in Him. I'm transformed. I'm excited. I'm progressing forward, spiritually speaking, okay, on this journey. And then what happens is I, I, I start to lose traction and I start going backwards in my faith. That's backsliding. 
Okay? Um, I'm not as excited as I once was. I'm not living as well as I once was. And so we sort of step back and say, well, how does this happen? I mean, just last Sunday I was so fired up, and this week I'm not as much as fired up. Is it because of the weather? Is it because my team lost? Is it because something happened at work? Uh, did, is there a relationship issue? All of a sudden I'm just not as fired up anymore. Why is that? Maybe I'm too busy. Maybe I'm intentionally making bad choices. Maybe I didn't realize it was happening. Maybe I wasn't serious about this Jesus thing in the first place. I don't know. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, there's some incredible things that happens. First of all, Jesus heals this man with leprosy, this disease, this ugly disease that we've heard about and we, we've talked about before. And then this Roman officer comes to him and pleads with him and, and um, says, My servant is lying in bed dying, and if you just come and heal. And, and then uh, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law and a bunch of others. And he just performed miracles um, in, over nature. He had cast out demons. He's doing all these incredible things. And people are getting hyped up and fired up and excited, right? It's like going to a church that has the, the lights and the whistles and, and the fired up preaching and, and music and coffee and kickback chairs. And you're like, whoa, this is like one of the most exciting. Then a big drama and like angels are flying across you and you see the, the wiring. And it's like, how do they do that? And you're like, you walk in like, this is incredible. I want to be a part of this church church, or I want to be a part of whatever that is. And then you say, so how do I become a part of it? Well, this is what you got to do. They have this big checklist. And you're like, oh, I don't really want to go there anymore. These people that are following Jesus, he just tossed demons. He just healed the sick. He calms the weather. He's doing things that nobody's ever done before. He's preaching in a way that people think he has incredible authority. I want to follow Jesus, right? So look with me in verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross the other side of the lake. I mean, people are following Jesus like a rock star, and it's like getting really crowded. He's like, okay, guys, let's, let's go to the other side of the lake. And then one of the teachers of the religious law said to him, hey, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Yeah, I've, you know, I'm telling you something. I've been to concerts before, and I, the last one I was at, I mean, it was crazy. It was um, Lecrae and, and I can't remember, Andy Mineo, and my boys are probably just laughing at me because I'm like probably messing up stuff. But anyway, it's like they always wanted to go see them. It's like, okay, so I took them to this concert, and it was so loud. I could feel my hair vibrating. I was like, boom, boom. And, and then Jenny was home, and I'm in Columbus at this concert, and she's texting me. She goes, I'm going to bed. I'm going, I'm going deaf. You know, <laughs> and, um, these junior high girls behind me, they're like screaming, and I'm going, I'm too old for this. I really am. Uh, but I love my boys, and so I will sacrifice for them, right? Um, so here we are, and the music's going, and these girls are like, I follow you on Twitter. I follow you. It's like, really? Like, he knows there's thousands following him. But it just reminded me of that moment that these, these kids are like, they're just in awe of this rock star, you know? And it's like, I'm following you. I love you. And you don't even know him, right? You just listen to the music. And, and I'm picturing this with these people following Jesus. Like, he just cast out demons. Like, whoa. He's calm storms and he's healing sick. He's like, man, I, I follow you. I love you. And that's the picture I'm getting when I'm reading this. And it's like Jesus at that moment, it was really cool, because Jesus could have said, 
I'm glad you're following me. Just click on Twitter, follow, you know, like me and all this kind of stuff. He could have done that, you know, click the little heart for me, you know. He could have done all that, but Jesus looks at them and this is what he says. Check this out. He goes in verse 20. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Okay, but we're all sitting there going, huh? I just said, I love you. I want to follow you. That's all. And what he's saying is, listen, you're going to follow me? I'm homeless. I don't have a place to sleep. I bounce from house to house, sleep out in the wilderness. I, I, if you're following me for gains, you're not going to get any. You think i got a mansion I'm living in? You can come join me? The hot tub or anything? Don't have it. Another one of his disciples, verse 21, said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus said, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Now, here's the deal. Back in that day, if somebody dies, according to what they did in that culture was, they buried the dead that day. It wasn't like this guy was all following Jesus, listening to everything. He's like, oh, by the way, my dad's dead. I probably should go take care of that. No, what he meant was, my dad's probably not doing too well right now. And probably the next week, year, two, he'll probably pass away. And I really should probably go home and take care and be around there before I start following you. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. If you're going to follow me, you follow me now. And if you're going to follow me now, it's not about title and position and power and what you're going to get out of this. He was making it really clear that there's a cost to commitment. And these particular disciples, it goes on to read, that, read it says, they walked away. Like, oh, there's a cost to following Jesus? I'm out of here. Uh, I'm I, I, uh, not, not as excited anymore. But I was thinking about this. If Jesus is who he claims to be, think about this, church. If Jesus Christ truly healed people, you think about all the sickness and illness and things. You know, this is community right now is looking back this week on Thane Woolley and saying, what an impact a 14-year-old made on a community. If you drive down Shoop and you see all the signs, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 Thane Woolley. You believe that? That a community's put scripture up on their signs? The impact of a little boy. You know what? And many of us have dealt with issues of sickness and cancer. And Jesus Christ, if he was here walking in the flesh today, could have walked up to any one of these people, your family members, Thane, whoever, and just healed them just like that. Because that's what he did in the Bible. That's what he did 2,000 years ago. And he would have got up here to preach right now, and we would be on our knees weeping at the words that he would be saying. And he could take the snow outside and say, snow, it's April. Boom, there's flowers, there's sunshine, there's birds tweeting, and we're like, picnic, right? I mean, that's that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus is who he claims to be and he's all that, let me ask you this. Why wouldn't we want to follow him? Why wouldn't we be more excited about who Jesus Christ is? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, the living Savior. And then we should be fired up about that. And, you know, I, I think about this whole backsliding issue. Here's the thing. It's not that I'm falling away from reading the Bible. I just forgot who the author is. It's not that I'm missing out on going to church. It's that I'm missing on the opportunity. I'm choosing, when I come to worship, to respect God and give Him all the honor He deserves and glory He deserves. And it's not that I don't know how to pray. It's just that I'm choosing not to connect with my Savior. All of us know how to talk and communicate with people. 
whether it's verbally, texting, whatever it may be, we know how to communicate. And when I pray, I'm communicating with my Heavenly Father. So when I'm backsliding, it's not so much that I'm failing to do all this. I'm just not choosing to connect with the living God of this universe. I'm moving away. I'm moving in the wrong direction. So to move in the right direction, I must, conscience, I must consciously choose to be committed to what I believe in. And there are too many Christians today who they call themselves Christians. They sit in the church. They occasionally give. They, they know some good worship songs. They do nice things. Matter of fact, we are really great at loving others, aren't we? I mean, but the thing is, as great as we are at loving others, this has got to come first. Loving God. Oh, but we're being the church, Rex. I know we're being the church. And you hear me every week at the end of every church service. Go be the church. But what I mean by be the church is this. First, let's go love God like we've never loved God before. And as a result of that, guess what happens? We start loving others. And we're just going to go be the church, right? But sometimes what happens is we're like, I'm really good at loving others. And we think that's good enough. Listen, I'm glad you love your kids. I love my kids, okay? But I can't love my kids more than I love God. I've got to love God more first. And I'm glad you love your spouse. I really love my spouse, but I've got to love God more before I love my spouse. And I'm glad you love your other friends out there and your co-workers and your teammates, but before you love them, you really got to love God more. Because when we love God more, loving others comes a lot easier. And it starts with loving God first. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. It's really easy to make loving others a God. It really is. And we don't realize it. To be a Christian means we first love God. Our first commitment is to Him and Him alone. You know, when I was, I can't remember. You know, as you get older, you forget what stories you share at church and which ones you don't, right? And I can't remember if I shared this story, but I was working with the team. I showed up at practice, and I got there, and, and uh, the coach was sort of upset. And it's like, oh, you should have seen what happened this past week. Like, well, what happened? Because they were, they were right at the end of their season, and they are moving into the sectionals and playoffs. And they said, well, one of our JV players, during the game, first half, things are going wrong. And, but we get into the, in the locker room at halftime, and one of the players just went to the locker, grabbed their stuff, and walked out the door and quit. They quit the team the very last game of the season. They had a second half, just finished the second half, Right? But that player walked out on their teammates and their coach and basically said, I'm done. Just quit. And I couldn't believe that. And I thought, and I think the comment came out of my mouth was like this. And I think the the words I said was, well, just because you have a jersey doesn't mean you're on the team. And somebody else sitting in the room, I think our staff was talking about this. And he said, yeah, just because you have a jersey on doesn't mean you're part of the team. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you're a Christian, right? Just because you think you're looking like something doesn't mean that you are actually that thing. And give an example. I said do this this morning. I thought, you know what? When I grew up, I mean, there was a team that I, I loved to follow. I mean, this was the team. It was the Chicago Bears. And I had a favorite player. And uh, Walter Payton, I mean, sweetness. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Walter Payton was the running back. And I loved watching the monsters of the midway. And I loved watching the refri- the fridge, you know, Perry, you know, William Perry. I mean, that, that big 300-pound line, um, lineman, you give him the ball, 
Why would you put him at the running back position? Because you don't got to go a yard. Who's going to stop 300 plus pounds, right? Give it to him. Oh, and then the Super Bowl shuffle, 1985, the, the Bears in the Super Bowl shuffle. Then now they dance around. I mean, okay, so here's the deal. I can talk Chicago Bears all day long with you. Maybe not all day long, but because I grew up with, with watching the Bears all the time. I've got the jersey on. How many of you actually think I'm an NFL player for the Bears right now? Only one disillusional person. Well, that's good. Okay. Here's the thing. I'm not. Okay. But, hey, I can talk about I've got the jersey. But just because I have the jersey doesn't mean I'm on the team. Matter of fact, I like Tim Tebow, okay, only because he's, you know, he's, Tim Tebow is like one of the most outstanding Christians taking their faith out there on the field, right? And I felt he never got a chance, you know? So I'd put this jersey on right now, but I'm not a Broncos fan. But I like Tim Tebow. It's sort of like, well, I don't really care for what's going on in the church, but I like that pastor. I read his book. I heard him speak one time. I mean, man, you know, but here's the thing. Just because I've got a Tim Tebow jersey doesn't mean I'm a Bronco. Doesn't mean I'm an NFL player, right? And I was thinking about this, that being a Christian is more than just putting on a jersey. Being a Christian is more than just showing up on occasion. Being a Christian is, is more than saying, well, I sort of have a relationship. See, there, there's commitment. here, And I want to show you this commitment. Um, is Ian Frucci down here? Oh, you're right there. Ian, come up here. Help me out. Okay? You're going to help me out with something this morning, okay? I've got three boxes here, okay? They're all labeled box number one, okay? Box number two, and box number three, okay? Now, sort of put them up here. They're probably, I just want everybody to see. I'm going to put them down now. I just want to make sure everybody can see what they look like, okay? All right, now, here's what you do, Ian. I want you to choose box one, box two, box three, okay? There's prizes in each of them. You get to keep whatever's in the box. It's sort of like that old TV show that a lot of your parents are, like, going back to right now, if they can remember. But behind curtain number one, behind curtain number two, or curtain number three, but it's a box this time, okay? So which box do you think you want, Ian? Which box? I'm two. You're going to go with box number two. Now, let's, let's do this. Church, he's going with box number two. There's three. There's two other boxes there. Should he go with box one, box two, box three? Come on, let's pretend this is like a game show, okay? Let's have fun with this guy, okay? He's going for two. What do you guys think? Look out there. Look out there. Ooh, we got all kinds of numbers. Got three. Look, oh, look at Mike. Mike, he looks pretty intimidating right there. Like, He's the guy that did the 120 push-ups this morning. Okay? That little boy's son. What do you think? What does mom and dad say? What do you think? She's like, peace out. Do what you want. Is that what that's all about? What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you think? You got a bunch of people yelling at you what to do with your life here. What are you going to do? Box one, two, or three? Oh, no. It's, no, it's a little hard. Oh, boy. What do you think? Three. Oh, you're changing it to three now. Oh. Okay, so we're going to go with three, but I'll tell you what, Ian, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer you a dollar to change your mind right now, to not pick box three. So you can go back to box two if you want, or you can go to box one, and I'll give you whatever's in one or two, and this dollar, if you switch from three. What do you think? Want to change your mind? You're going to stick with three. I'm giving you a good deal, man. Real stuff. <laughs> Smells like pocket. I mean money. <laughs> what do you think? 
pressure is killing us. What do you think? I'm going to go with two. One that I had first. So you're going back to two. Okay. Well, you get that, right? Because I said if you, if you changed your mind, I was paying you. So there you go. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm not allowed to lie on Sundays. So, okay. So let's see what you did not pick. Let's start with box one, because you wouldn't even touch that one with a 10-foot pole. So, oh. well, Box number one was the VeggieTales Easter video. Positively Risen CD, a lot of awesome Christian music. Oh, an, an FCA magazine with Steve Alford and, and a shirt that says All In, like you're fully committed. And then... Um, Bunch of mints. Oh, box one. That was a good. That would have been a good choice. All right, box. Which one did you pick? Two. Okay, so box number three. Well, you could have got this old cheetah. Is that what this? Uh, broken candy cane and a pepper. It's like somebody took a bite out of it. Must have been clay. All right, box number two is what you went with. This is what you chose. No, it's not empty, but the bottle is. You got an empty water bottle. So there you go. You got a dollar bill and an empty water. I'm serious. You got to take this too. Okay. But here, here's, the, here's the thing, buddy. You, you are making this. Is, we got choices to make in life, don't we? It's hard to make choices in life. You are making a choice and then everybody's yelling at you to change your mind. And then I'm trying to convince you with money to change your mind too. It's tough to make choices in life, isn't it? How old are you? Eleven. Eleven? Okay. Is being eleven year old is it tough to make choices sometime? <laughs> He's having a hard time making a choice right now and answering the question, so I'm gonna say yes. It's at any age you're at, I'm gonna tell you right now, it's tough to make choices. So it's always nice to have somebody help you, right? And listening to the right voices, that kind of thing. But when we make a commitment to something, when we choose to do something. People always want us to change our mind. And it's so hard to make commitments sometimes, right? But here's the thing. If you do this for me, if you take that bottle and you hold on to it, you know where I live, right? You've been there. Okay. So here's the deal. If you keep your commitment and hold on to that empty water bottle and don't throw it away, but you just hold on to that for this week, next weekend, okay? Stop by my house or next Sunday morning. I'll bring the box back. Let's do this next Sunday morning, okay? I'll bring the box back, box number which one had the goodies in it? One? I'll give you what's in box number one for that empty water bottle if you make a commitment to keep that, okay? Will you keep that commitment? Shake on it? All right. Thank you very much, Ian. You have a seat. Awesome. Because here's the thing, that we have to make commitments in our lives. Like, well, I'm going to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, but then we've got so many things shouting at us in this world that pulls us away. And, and the thing is... We think, well, I'm going with this. I'm following Jesus. But then all of a sudden the world starts pulling us and saying, but this is a better way or this is a better way. And then a really good offer comes along like, I'll give you a dollar, right? So then it's like, but if I change up and I break this commitment and go to this. And we talk with kids about this all the time, about keeping our commitments. Why is that important? Because as we go through life, it's not just a commitment to Christ. It's a commitment in a relationship. It's a commitment to a job. There's all kinds of commitments. We've got to learn to keep those commitments. But our greatest commitment we need to learn to commit is what? Our relationship to the God of this universe. The greatest commitment. And I believe when we keep those commitments and follow him, he blesses us. 
That's why I'm telling you, if you keep this commitment, I'll bless you. Because I believe that's what God does with us in our life. When we, when we commit to following Him, I believe He blesses us. So here's the thing about commitments. We need to keep them. But here's the thing with our commitments, too. We need to show them. We need to show people, I'm committed to Jesus Christ. If you look in Matthew chapter 7, so let's go back just one chapter. Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 to 18. This is, you know, this is incredible. We talk about Jesus as the words of authority. He said this, you can identify them in regards to whether people, whether they're false or true. You can identify them by their fruit, verse 16. This is, by the way, they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Did you guys hear that? A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down, thrown in fire. At about this time, the disciples are saying, what? Amen? Now they're saying, duh, <laughs> right? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. We, we get that, right? And Jesus is saying, exactly. When you make a commitment to Jesus Christ, people will see it. If you're committing to him like a good tree and your roots are planted in him, you will grow fruit. You, people will see by your actions, by your love for God, they will know you are a Christian. And if you're not, people will see that too. So we get what Jesus did in making the sacrifice. Last week we talked about 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and I'll read that to you. My children, I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate, one who pleads on our behalf before the Father. He is Jesus Christ. He is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. We should be grateful because we have an incredible God who sent his Son to be an advocate for us, to be a sacrifice for us. And that should bring us incredible joy and gratitude. So we make that commitment. So here's the thing. We'll talk about this in the next four weeks, okay? For our first commitment means we make a commitment to use His equipment. And what equipment has God given us? He gave us, first of all, His Holy Spirit. The second piece of equipment He gave us was His Word, which is why today, you know, what Leroy sharing about what the Gideons do with the Bible is important. And we'll talk more about what it means to be committed. But next week, as we talk about using God's equipment the right way, we've got to understand God has given us tools to use. And the tools that he gives us is, is here's the deal. You can't play without the equipment. You can't live your life without God's word. I'll never forget coaching a second grade baseball team when Colin was first playing second grade and we had practice and the kids are showing up to the first practice. Little boy gets out of his car. Hey, coach, coach, coach. Do I need my hat? Yeah, that'd be a good thing. Okay, okay. Coach, coach, coach. Yeah. Do I need my ball glove? Yeah, this is baseball practice. You'll need that, buddy. Okay. Mom, go home and get my ball glove. She takes off. And I was thinking, yeah, you need equipment to play, right? And think about this. I was thinking about those guys that work with ODOT and work out on the road. They can't work without equipment. They can't fill in the potholes without a shovel, right? Or a backhoe. Can't make coffee without a coffee maker, right? Thank you for making coffee this morning. You can't wash cars without soap and water. You can't do your job without the right equipment. We can't live for Christ. We can't make our commitment to Him without having the right equipment, His Word. And here's the thing. That equipment must be real. You can't play with a 
plastic helmet. If you're a football player, you'll get hurt, right? You can't cook with a plastic oven. Things don't get cooked, right? And you can't fill a pothole with a spoon. You need the right equipment, and it must be real. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here, please. God's Word is our number one piece of equipment. It's our, it's our roadmap. It's our guide in life. We're going to dig into this next week. I'm really excited about this because some, some things I was reading, learning some new things about God's Word. And, um, and a lot of times it's like there's something new and exciting. It's not new and exciting. It's always been in there. Okay? We're going to share more about it next week. Charles Spurgeon is a great um, pastor and theologian. And he once said this about the Bible. He was sitting underneath this big beech tree. And he was pleased, he said this, I was pleased to mark with prying curiosity the singular habits of the most wonderful of tree, which seems to have an intelligence about with what trees have. And I wondered and I admired the beech tree. So you can imagine sitting there looking at this big beech tree. He said, I thought to myself, I don't think half as much about this tree as that squirrel does. And I see that squirrel leap from branch to branch. And I feel sure that he dearly values this beech tree because he has a home somewhere hidden in the hollow of one of the branches. And that's his shelter. And the beech nuts are his food. He lives on this tree. It's his world. It's his playground. It's his granary. It's his home. Indeed, it's everything to him. And it's not so for me because I find my food, my rest somewhere else. With God's word, it is well for us to be like squirrels, living in it, living on it. Let us exercise our minds by leaping from verse to verse as branch to branch and find our rest and our food in it and make it our all in all. These are our hiding places. This is our comfort. So churches, we talk about what it means to be committed to Christ. Let's understand that it's got to start with the right equipment, God's word. We'll get into this more in the next couple of weeks. Would you stand, please, as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. I thank you for your words and, and what you have placed here in this church with different people being able to share from your word from this morning, from the Bible studies that took place to where they were digging into your word, that right equipment, saying we want to learn more the opportunities of what Rhonda has shared with us and what Leroy has shared with us. And Lord, what we learn about having a commitment to you. And it starts with a commitment and loving you and, and taking your equipment, your word, and doing something with it. So God, we just pray as we go through the rest of this week, Lord, that you start laying upon our hearts. What does it mean to really use God's word? Am I really reading it? How do I read it? God, speak to us. Put an urgency upon our hearts to be into your word more. God, I love you and we thank you. And as we sing this song to you, Lord, may we continue to worship you in song. In the name we pray.